American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. If clothing was the largest industry in New York City, then the second largest was prostitution. Urban sexuality uh, was reshaped by an emerging world of male consumption and cash purchases in many ways. And in the midst of this, in the 1820s, prostitution bloomed as never before in American life. Alongside all these new shops like Macy's and Brooks Brothers, there were also many, many brothels in New York City. While we think of prostitution as the, quote, oldest profession, it is in fact something that explodes and is novel in the early 19th century. Street walking, which was the oldest profession, moves indoors just like other kinds of work, with centralized, consolidated, whether it's the factory or the department store, so too does the brothel become part of these new institutions of consumption and production. In this case, the production of sex work, the consumption of people. It mimics this in the movement from the peddling of the streets to the stores of the interior. And by the 1820s, New York had almost 200 brothels. So we should ask ourselves, how is it that New York produced both cash-having men and cash-needing women at the same time? What is the structural relationship between that first largest industry of clothing and that second largest industry of prostitution? Well, to understand this, we need to understand that in the 1820s and 30s, most women made appallingly low wages. There were unions that arose, they largely failed. And in the midst of this were women trying to make their way in the city. The standardization of men's clothes allowed for the standardization of labor. So it allowed for low-pay piecework that would be sent out into households where workers, mostly women, would be paid by the pieces that they sewed. Distributed among many workers, like the putting out system, and so it was in this moment that you have the arising of not just this putting out system, but also sweatshops in which production by largely immigrant women, by very poor women, was used to produce more and more the textiles of New York City. Many of the seamstresses found this work as both the first step towards a life of prostitution. Now, the seamstress life was one that was flexible so that you could work at home, you could uh, take in work, this piecework, and take care of your family while taking, making some money on the side. But this flexibility was often one that had very little choice, and the paid alternatives were meager. To put it in perspective of how much money people could make, a seamstress making good wages could expect, with full-time work, to make about $35 to $50 a year. This amount of money was nearly equal to the cost of living. So prostitution offered an alternative. Was this much of a choice? If it meant the difference between starvation and not, it's not really much of a choice at all. Sometimes it was the only choice that people had to make their way in the city. According to a survey from the 1830s, now it's a very highly suspect survey, but indicative, between 30 and 60% of women involved in the needle trades occasionally or frequently worked as prostitutes. This seems like a high number, 
but the lines were fluid. Reasonable estimates put women who worked at prostitutes at some point in their lives at between 5 and 10% of the New York City population. Still a very high number. For many women, it was a way to make ends meet, but for many, it was not a choice at all. While the market was embraced as a way to move goods and labor, it was still not totally uh, a free labor market for women. Social obligations often compelled them into situations that otherwise, perhaps, they would not have chose to be in. Take, for instance, uh, the legal records that show the life of one Eliza Noe, who was an apprentice tailor living with a woman named Ann Clark, who forced her into having sex with her customers. This fantasy of protection in the skilled trades, that this person she was living with, as in the old manner of the guilds, was a fantasy. That she was, in fact, not just teaching her a trade, but forcing her into a life of prostitution. They were all pressed on every side by the deteriorating market, the deteriorating wages of the seamstress market. And it started young. The median age for a prostitute in the New York House of Refuge, that's a jail, was 15 and in the 1820s and 30s. The New York age of consent was only 10 years old. So legally, this was totally okay to have sex with women as uh, really girls as young as 10 years old. And of course, there was a tremendous dollar value to having sex with a virgin. Teenage girls were offered as much as $50 to lose their virginity and $5 for sex. Compared with an annual income of $35 to $50, you can see how tempting it would be if not for the girl herself, at least for those who were charged with their care. Many women claimed that, according to the interviews that were done with reformers at least, that it was a choice, that they had a choice in entering into this arrangement. They did it to escape the oppression at home, to escape the drudgery of factory work. And like men, but without power, it was something outside of conventional society, something parallel to and part of the sporting life. These stories are not the same. Men, through the coercive power of the cash relationship, compelled women with no alternative to have sex with them. But in both cases, it was an economy unlike what had happened before, an economy based on cash. It was anonymous, outside the family, where the customer and cash was king. For more information, go to edX.org and look for American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Or go to facebook.com slash American Capitalism MOOC. This podcast has been brought to you by Cornell X from Cornell University. Mm-hmm.